0: Hello, and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. You know, cybersecurity, technology, all of those things are things that we don't talk about a lot on the show. And the main reason why is this is a marketing podcast. But our guest today is going to talk about how utilizing some of the great tips, tricks, and techniques and tools that they offer can actually separate you from the advisor down the street. So, Sid, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Great. Hey, thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, Super excited to be here. Well, we met at one of the most boring conferences I've ever been to, uh, which was the FSI conference. And you all can hate me for that. But your passion, your excitement, your energy surrounding who you are and what you do. I was like, OK, this guy's going to be a great podcast guest. So why don't you just take us his like a quick historical journey about where you started, what Entrada is, the fact that you're now partnered and in, in, in are working with Smarsh, let's just kind of be unpack the history and tell us exactly what you do for advisors. No problem.
1: Yeah. So uh, first off, thank you for having me, Matt. Uh, always love doing uh, podcasts. And like you said, I, I you know, when we first met, I felt like you had an interesting and a very authentic voice. Um, So I really wanted to engage just to kind of give you a little sense of my background. So I started off in Silicon Valley as a software developer um, out of Berkeley. I spent about a decade in the Valley working for a variety of companies. Um, I've done three startups before, all in the area of cyber and cyber risk. I did some work for the NSA in 2008, um, where we worked on a top secret program to help the NSA uh manage uh it's 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 out public now, but uh back then to sort of handle the bridge between highly classified networks and commercial networks, um fully funded by the NSA and it fully deployed now. And then I started Entrada in 2012. And the real reason I started Entrada was cybersecurity was becoming a, a big problem in the industry, particularly for Main Street. A lot of organizations, big or small, Uh, And some of the growing uh, companies actually struggled with this, where they didn't have a lot of time to focus on picking the right solution and even figuring out what solutions they need to handle the escalating cyber threat. We decided to build a unified platform that makes it a little easy for growing enterprises to be able to manage their cyber risk journey. And I accidentally ran into an LPL advisor who was my neighbor, and that was Patient zero for us, our first customer, um, and from there we grew. And most recently, there was a survey done by T Three Survey uh, where they 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 asked about five thousand advisors uh, who they use for cybersecurity risk. We were the number one provider of cybersecurity risk tools for advisors. Super excited about that, and wouldn't be possible without uh, the wealth, uh, you know, the advisory community adopting our solution. So super excited about that. But just to kind of give you a little sense, NSA, 10 years uh, in Silicon Valley, worked on cyber, um, started in trade uh, four startups. This is my fourth startup, exited the company to Smarsh in 2020 uh, right before the pandemic, and we're a wholly owned subsidiary inside of Smarsh. And so I've been you know, fortunate enough to be able to run this division in an autonomous fashion. Uh, just in April of this year, I took over the chief customer officer role for all wealth management facing accounts for smarsh on top of my responsibility as um ceo of Entrada. so i've kind of got lots of interesting things happening now and so this is an exciting time to be talking about this
0: Hey everybody, it's Matt here, just jumping in real quick. Have you ever thought about doing what Sid and I are doing right now, podcasting? Well, it's the best way to get your message into the marketplace and you don't need to be a great public speaker or a massive techie to do it. All you need is our free course, Podcasting 101, How to Start Your Own Podcast. To take this course for free, become a free member of the PodRocket Academy at proudmouth.com forward slash episode 368. All right, so this might seem like a dumb question. I mean, on the grand scheme of things, me asking you this question shows my absolute and utter ignorance. Um, what's the risk, dude? I mean, are you talking about uh, like just getting clients' information? Are you talking about levels of risk, like like trading risk and and getting access to people's actual accounts? What what is Is it all of the above? I'm sure there's millions of things I haven't thought of. Let's actually talk about the literal risk that the main street advisor, who, by the way, is who listens to this show, what risk are they they facing that they might be aware of or they might not be aware of?
1: Oh, yeah. So excellent, excellent point. Let's unpack that. The number one biggest risk that any organization has, uh, particularly in the wealth management space as an advisor, is the risk. The reputational risk, or the risk that you have to break the trust of your clients. What do I mean by that? If you're a firm that's managing someone's money, you have access to their 401k accounts, you have access to bank accounts, you have all of their, you know, their assets under your purview, and you, as an organization, are breached due to a cyber attack or any, uh, you, you fall prey to a fraudulent wire transfer request. You are now putting your reputation at risk. You are breaking that trust that you have with your clients. So that's probably number one. Now, when you unpack that, what causes that? Well, the cause for that could be many things. It could be a phishing drive-by phishing attack, where you know we all get these weird emails, and I'm not talking about the Nigerian prince sending you an email, but uh, you know I'm talking about someone masquerading as, as a client of yours and doing a pretty good job doing that and forcing you to engage with that email and disclose some proprietary information that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, That's a major threat. And we've actually seen during COVID a 300% increase in the number of phishing attacks against wealth advisors. And so that's the single biggest threat vector. The number two biggest threat vector is ransomware where somebody actually goes one step further from just sending you that that phishing email where they're looking for some data from you by masquerading as your client, they're actually taking one step further where they're infecting your devices or your networks with a virus of sorts, right? And holding you hostage to all the data that the hacker now has access to. And that is also seen a, a probably a 250% increase since COVID uh, as a result of escalated phishing attacks. So ransomware and phishing, big issues. And the third is business email compromise, BEC, which email is still the number one channel by which folks engage. And if somebody does an account takeover or compromises your mailbox, they now have access to all the crown jewels that you have to do all kinds of other things. So, you know, business email compromise, ransomware, phishing, three big threat vectors.
0: All right, uh, dude, but, but, but how do you, how do you even begin to manage that on a Main Street advisor's, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting brass tacks here, brother, like budget. Like that seems to me to be one, unbelievably necessary, terrifying, uh, and two, God, that's got to be freaking expensive. How, how is a main service advisor supposed to implement something like this? And how do they then communicate that implementation to their clients? Because I think I love what you said when we were warming up for the call, you know, is this is a huge difference maker. If you're going to separate yourself from the another advisor down the street, not just reputation management, all the bad things that can happen, but getting on the front end of this and saying, hey, we've done this. There are very few advisors in our area who've taken this in trade a step. So I'm sorry. I'm 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 just I'm go. Tell tell me what you're thinking there.
1: No, I, you know, I excellent point. And that's precisely why we saw an opportunity in terms of building a unified platform that provides all the tools required, a common set of tools that you know, growing organizations can kind of pack together and be able to Kind of de-risk some of these issues. There are no silver bullets in our business. Yeah, I mean, no one. If somebody is telling you that you can buy that product or invest in this tool, and you will never have these three issues ever occur again, they're probably lying, right? So, so that's that's a given. But what you can do is de-risk it. But I wanted to I wanted to step back into something else. It actually the problem statement is even worse than what we just discussed with the three issues, right? With business email compromise, ransomware, phishing. It's you now have regulatory scrutiny around this because the problem that a lot of advisors are are facing is they're SEC regulated, they're state board regulated, they're FINRA regulated. It used to be the case in the past where, you know, the regulators were not as focused on cyber because that was more of an IT problem. But now with the escalating attacks against advisors, it has now become a advisor client trust issue. And that's where FINRA and SEC and many of the regulators step in because now you're dealing with data privacy, consumer advocacy, and a lot of these other issues. And so you're starting to see cybersecurity become part of the audit framework uh, of most of the you know most of the regulators. So you will actually have, and I will tell you this, where you know an auditor will come in if you're on a twelve month cycle or in an eighteen month cycle, an SEC or FINRA audit. And they will ask you, show me your cybersecurity policy. How are you making sure that you're protecting the client data that you have within your firm um, in a way that meets industry best best practices? Show me the standard of care. And they'll dive into the policies and say, well, it says here that you recommend every time you're out of the office that all your employees and your staff use what's known as a VPN. Right. Which is something that we all know, virtual private network, where you go to Starbucks and you're trying to log into the internet and somebody's snooping, you could, you could invest in a tool from Symantec or anybody else that allows you to connect securely to the internet so that there's no prying eyes. Show me that you're using it. In fact, on January 15th of last year, show me evidence that you were actually using it at that point. Take any, and let's take a staff member. And so that's where a lot of firms get in trouble beyond just protecting their clients because that's kind of a nebulous problem, right? We just talked about the fact that there's no silver bullet. But now you've got the regulators, you know, breathing down your neck saying, what are you doing about it? Show me that you're doing something about it. So it's a perfect storm, right? And so advisors are having to face The problem is bigger than just protecting your enterprise. It's also being able to prove to the regulators that you're doing what you say you're doing. And so what do you, what do you do with all that, right? And that's the hard part.
0: Well, <clears throat> we'll get to what you do with all of that in just a minute, I think. But, but uh, I think a lot of advisors are probably thinking, maybe, uh, unless they are entirely on their own, they're not affiliated with any sort of larger RIA or broker-dealer, that sh- isn't that their job? I mean, LPLs, Raymond James's, all of those companies, big RIAs, aren't they offering that level of standard of care and making sure that your client's information is safe?
1: So excellent point. Let's unpack that, right? So if you're an independent RIA firm, you've done the hard work of leaving the wirehouse and you've set up shop on your own, you've got your own clients, the compliance problem falls squarely on your shoulders. You you might now contract a piece of that to a compliance, uh, an outsourced compliance team. You might even hire an outsourced IT team. But you you would have a chief compliance officer designated within your organization. And the responsibility squarely falls on the chief compliance officer and the managing partners of that firm. So for RIAs, it's well within their wheelhouse. There's nowhere to hide. They have to, you know, you have to be the ones taking charge. You got to own it and, and and take responsibility. Now, if you're a broker dealer uh, and you're a rep affiliated with the broker dealer, yes. The broker dealers have fiduciary to sort of help you. Um, however, we all know as an independent rep of a broker dealer, there's this interesting relationship that you have where the reps are you know, fanatically independent in many cases and the broker dealers have to sort of manage that relationship carefully. So while they can recommend that you use certain tools and you do certain things, they can't really force you. I mean, they could, but it creates further tension. And so therein lies the problem: is some broker-dealer firms do a good job of being able to meander that; others tend to be more democratic about the process, and they'll say, "You know, here are the list of things that you should be doing, and we're going to kind of loosely enforce it, but not necessarily heavy-handed." Uh, so it, it's a that's where the advisory world this problem is a it's a multi-dimensional problem. It's not there's no simple answer.
0: How how would you since you've done this for quite a while, how would you use this to your advantage? So, so you said you just became a financial advisor, right? Which, you know, why would you do that? (laughs) But anyway, let's pretend you just became a financial advisor and, and you wanted to communicate this, not just the risk, but also that you have a solution in place again, to live up to, to, what I consider now, my son's in a cybersecurity program, and I, I've shared this, I think, on the podcast a couple of times. He sent me a text message, Sid, and I clicked on the link that he sent me because, you know, he's my son and he's in the cybersecurity program. And he's like, you know, Dad, I just need to test something. In the time that it took for me to click to go to the website, that, by the way, is a legit website. It's a war. He loves Warhammer. He does miniature painting. Um, he gleaned like all the information off the phone, man. Like, I'm like, oh my God, he you kidding me? So anyway, how would you position this as an advisor to communicate not just the risks so that your clients are aware that there's a problem, which by the way, I'm sure they know already, and and how to say, we have this solution to quell those concerns. And again, to separate yourself from the advisor down the street, how how would you do that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I I, I think... This is the interesting part about this entire conversation, right? I, I, I think too often many organizations view cybersecurity and compliance tools in general as being sort of a cost center, right? You you know, it's a necessary evil. You, you got to buy this stuff because someone's telling you you got to do it. And yeah, there's this thing called client trust, but it's kind of an amorphous problem and you can't really you know, you're telling me that even if I do all this, I, you know, there's no silver bullet. So what do I do about all this? Right? Like, so do I actually go ahead and pull the trigger? Do I not? Do I just let it go? Well, here's the part that I will say. Cybersecurity is one of those unique things that actually helps an organization benefit in many ways in any company, in any organization, regardless of size. Growing your top line, managing your risk, and managing your bottom line. These are the three things any organization has to sort of deal with. Cybersecurity has a way to sort of help you address all three areas. Number one, with the top line conversation. If you're an organization that's taking cybersecurity uh, as as a very serious topic, it demonstrates to your clients. I've actually literally talked to advisors where they will, during their opening pitch with a prospect. They'll talk about all the different tools that they use to kind of manage risk, but they'll reserve about five to seven minutes in their pitch to talk about, let me tell you how I run my business and here are the things that I do. And this sort of helps answer the big question that a lot of clients have is, am I dealing with a professional organization? Am I dealing with an organization that takes my relationship seriously and will do whatever it is in their means to safeguard, you know, not only my wealth and my money, but also the way you manage your business. Right. And so cybersecurity has a unique way of being able to help with that. So I've literally had firms go in and show them, Hey, listen, we're a small firm, but we take this stuff really seriously. I use this, I, I use these tools. They're, they're really cool. And they'll talk about the tools that they use as a way to kind of demonstrate to their clients that they're thoughtful, smart, they're, they're actually embracing technology as a way to run their practice. So they're uh, very progressive about the way they do things. Number two, okay. risk. I mean, we talked about that, right? Regulatory risk and just risk in general. Anything that you do to de-risk it is gonna help you manage that. And so we talked about that at length. Obviously, cybersecurity is a key e-risk. Managing your bottom line. Well, if you're in the newspaper, or you're fined. The these are black swan events within your organization. And you know, there's stats out there that say if you've been a victim of a cyber breach, you might shut down your shop within 60 days because now your clients are upset, right? There's stats on this. So you don't you can't afford to survive a massive breach because the the fines associated with it, the cost to you know, to kind of rectify your reputation, those are, those are intangibles, really hard to to sort of quantify. And so that's, again, a risk and a cost, it's a cost center from a bottom line standpoint. So I think cybersecurity is one of those very unique things that's not incremental, but it's actually something that's, uh, you know, that's something that could help you in all three areas.
0: I love thank you for breaking that down, because I, I think uh, what, what a great way for for advisors to really take a look at it now. <clears throat> isn't all of everybody's information already out there, dude, like, isn't this just futile, like we're just going against the ocean and it's just going to beat us at some point anyway?
1: You know, I look, I and that's another excellent point. Um, so, so the point you're making is. People's data is already exposed or they might already be in the dark web or people can, you know, or, you know, you've got a relationship with somebody else and it's, and it's their problem. Well, look, I I, I think that's true. However, every organization has to have a methodology and a process. I mean, most of us that, that run a business, you know, there's untenable risk and there's, you always know, that even if you do the following eight things, you can't really control everything um, in, in the system. However, here are the five things that you can control. And the regulators demand that you do that, right? And because they're going to hold you to it. I can tell you this no SEC, FENRA, or state board auditor is going to come in and say, wow, um, you know, there's untenable risk out there. No matter what you do, you might still have data out there. So, We're gonna give you a free pass. It's not the way it works, right? They're gonna come in. They're gonna go. Look, we understand that. However, you, when you're running a business, there's a fine line between negligence and untenable risk. Does that make sense? And so, you have to demonstrate that you're not being negligent with your process, which means that you're instituting a certain rigor. And you might still get breached in spite of all that, but at least you're following the process. And so, if there's ever a situation where you're called into question and somebody says, hey, why did that happen? You're like, well, look, I followed the protocol, but stuff happens, right? And nobody can hold you accountable to it. And that's really what we tell firms to do.
0: Now, you have a very um, interesting opportunity in the circles that you hang out with because you're so plugged into this, right? You were absolutely plugged into all FinTech technology, cybersecurity, risk, compliance, the SEC, FINRA, all of those sorts of things. What's on the horizon, dude? Like, what are you seeing? Where where do you see everything going on with your organization, cybersecurity, risk, compliance, SEC, FINRA, this is a big question, man. Uh, But like, you know, in the next like three to five
1: years. Yeah, so uh, excellent question. I mean, I think... As we sit here today, we're sort of the industry is and you know I'd say we're all sort of dealing with the post-pandemic era, right? Uh, some would argue that we're still in it. but the landscape has changed. the risk profile of the way we work, uh, the way we live, uh, it has all changed, right? And so I think everyone's sort of grappling with the new reality. Uh, The risk profile, the surface area, as people would call it, that has changed dramatically. And so I think over the next few years, you're starting to see a lot of impetus around, you know, how do we prepare for the future of work? And how do you, you know, what steps do you take? The SEC, up until recently, uh, has made cybersecurity, you know, cybersecurity was the best practice. They had some guidance around it. They would say... You know, you should do the following seven things, but just in the last three months, they've actually instituted a new rule, which they plan to hold all advisors, uh, and anybody that's SEC regulated to uh, a new rule, which requires everybody to disclose every advisor that's SEC regulated to disclose, uh, if they have a significant incident, a cyber incident, um, they require. Breach notification. Um, there are certain breach notification periods and laws that associate that are associated with it. You can't wait more than seventy-two hours to disclose that you had a significant incident, right? So there's sort of tightening the noose around how firms manage cybersecurity and the protocol that's associated with it. So we're we're sort of living through as we sit here today a dramatic change in the landscape and the enforcement landscape specifically around cyber. And we think that organizations have to, you know, kind of take this topic really seriously. And if they haven't been up until recently, within the next 60 to 90 days, we're in this comment period at the moment, Matt, where the SEC has put this recommendation out and they give the industry about 90 days to comment on it. And barring any major comments, it becomes a rule and it's enforceable. And so I think the next year 2023 2024 we're going to be living in an environment where cybersecurity is going to be a requirement for firms. And so what do firms have to do in order to make sure that they they have to take advantage of you know looking at the risk of their organizations, making certain decisions as limited budgets, as limited time. And so I think You're going to start to see a lot of conversation around this topic is what we see.
0: All right. Here's my favorite question that I ask in almost every one of these shows is what should I have asked you that I didn't?
1: Well, you know, I think that's an excellent question, Matt. I I mean, I think the the number that one of the questions that I get asked quite a bit that we didn't really talk about is. So we understand the risk that that, you know, that cyber has and everything else how do we insure ourselves against it? Cause clearly
0: you know, Ooh, yeah. you know,
1: there's nothing we can actually do. You're telling us that you don't have an answer. There's no silver bullet, right? Cause I, you know, I have a headache and you're telling me that if I take this pill, there's no guarantee that my headache gets relieved, right? And I, my question back to you is then what do I do here? Like, how do I, is there any insurance that I can buy? Is there some preventative thing that I could do to sort of stop mm-hmm. this? So cyber insurance is a very interesting topic, right? Um you know and it it sort of cuts in an interesting way because a lot of advisors offer insurance when it comes to you know their wealth products. That's part of the risk strategy that somebody has to you know employ in their in their in their toolkit, right? Um and so cyber insurance is an interesting model and and the issue is how do you deal with untenable risk? How do you insure against that? And so there's actually a lot of innovation going on in the area of cyber insurance, Matt, and that's a topic that I'm very excited about. And longer term, um, as I sort of forecast over the next two or three years, I think you're going to start to see some sort of integration between cyber insurance and the technology choices an organization makes you know, this notion of good driver discount, right? If you drive well, Maybe you shouldn't be say, paying the same amount of premiums as someone that has a checkered driving history, right? And drives 100 miles a day to work, right? And if I'm only driving five miles a day, and I have great driving history, my premiums should be dramatically different than the other person. It shouldn't be age or education level or anything else. And so I think I think we're we're sort of living in a world now, Matt, where Um, I think rewarding good behavior and organizations that do things right. Um, It's, you know, the age old analogy of like, if you work out every day, you go to the gym, you eat healthy, shouldn't your insurance premiums be different? Right. And so I think we're starting to have those conversations. And I think that comes sort of comes full circle back to the point, Matt, that you brought up, which is, how do you make something like cyber, like compliance, not part of the cost center, but a strategic advantage to an organization? So practicing, you know, good behavior is a strategic asset, and you should be rewarded for that. And I think that's the conversation that that we're going to be having. Uh, lo- looking forward.
0: Sid Yanomantra, thank you so much uh, for two things. Number one, what you're doing, because, oh, my God, dude so needed man uh so there's number one number two uh thanks for all of your great advice on the show today i mean honestly dude you have just my brain is going a million miles an hour i'm just uh you know, we work with so many different companies and now I'm wondering what they're doing. And, uh, you know, all of that stuff is just absolutely fascinating. And I also really appreciate you breaking down those, you know, the three areas, right? You know, the top line, you know, making sure that your risk is controlled and then really the bottom line stuff, all of that's so important for advisors uh, to pay attention to. So thank you for what you do. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Thank you for having me. It was great. All right, everybody. So let's, just break this down very quickly. Number one, You got to do this, right? I mean, this is pretty soon going to come down from on high with FINRA and the SEC. So there's number one. Number two, get in front of it. Goodness gracious, if you're the first person in these clients' lives or in your community who's talking about the fact that you're taking these proactive steps and you have these tools in place to protect your clients, you are going to differentiate yourself from the advisor down the street. That's number two. And number three, compliance is actually there for a reason it isn't just to protect you and your business, but it's also there to make sure that your clients are also protected. All So many of you, and I have been wildly inflammatory with my uh, my uh, opinions on some aspects of compliance, but really it is there to make you safe and your clients safe. So please, please keep that in mind. Uh, Sid, if anybody wants to reach out and find out a little bit more about, about Entrada or you or whatever, or Smarsh, what's the best way for them to reach out?
1: Oh yeah, so... Feel free to reach out to us uh, directly. You can engage with the website. You can go to smarsh.com. You can go to entrada.com. These are two separate websites. Or you could email me directly at sid at entrada.com, E-N-T-R-E-D-A.com.
0: And we will make sure we have those in the show notes. Sid, thanks for your brain today, and thanks for being on the show. I
1: appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Matt. Take care. All right, everybody,
0: it. if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please just make sure that you do that. Give us a quick rating on iTunes. And if you know somebody who is, a, is SEC regulated or thinking about going on on their own or or. <laughs> If they're already affiliated with a larger broker dealer or if they're affiliated with an even a midsize RIA, please share this podcast with them because this is going to become the standard. And we really do think that the education that you can get through Sid and his team uh, can really make a huge difference. So for Sid, for Entrada, for Smarsh and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Hallern and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the PodRocket Academy through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers. You will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.